If you thought you had Resurrection Sunday last week, and now that's over until next year, you were wrong, okay? I promised you last time that there was too much Resurrection Sunday awesomeness to talk about in one message, so this is the overflow. This is, you put too much Coke in your in your glass with ice in it, and the frothing is going everywhere. This is me coming to your table to wipe up the overflow of the goodness of Resurrection Sunday. And so today, okay, it's working. Today is called Resurrection Mode Engaged Part 2, Your Turn. Okay, and I don't have a ton of illustrations, so... um, so this is may just me being excited in front of you. So just as a quick recap, last week we talked about how in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, creating Holy Scripture, the most unique book ever written because they are the very words of God, was trying to convince the church that you don't need to act like you're some poor boy going around to all the worldly systems and the worldly philosophies like they have anything to add to you in your relationship with Jesus because God has intentionally, in Jesus Christ, presented to the church a person who is the best at everything so that everything you could ever ask, need, or want is already there for you in Christ. And a quick list, just this is just me summarizing a short passage from Scripture, includes this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You ever want to know what God is like? Read a gospel. He's him. He's exactly what God is like, but in a living person. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, so he's the boss over everything. By him, all things were created. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, which is like human political power as well as spiritual power, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning of everything and the firstborn from the dead. So if you look at this life and you think it's kind of garbage and then we die, and you want something more than the kind of garbage then you die, Jesus owns everything past death. Because he came back from the dead. He's the boss of everything that happens once you die. So if that's important to you, and you want to know something, you want to live past death, who do you have to go to? Yeah, nobody else owns life after death. It's Jesus. It was given to him to be the boss of that. In everything, he's preeminent. He's the number one. If you saw his trophy room, it would look like the universe. Because everything in existence is his trophy. He's created it. He's rebought it. He's made it. He's redeemed it. Through him, God reconciled all things to himself. And Jesus made peace by his blood of the cross. And everything coming back to that one moment. or It's not even one moment. It's like a system of moments that culminates on Jesus dying for sin under the wrath of God on the cross, outside of Jerusalem, roughly 2,000 years ago, going into a grave, all his enemies celebrating, all of his friends despairing, and then him coming out of the grave on that Easter morning, rolling the stone away into everlasting life as now the ruler of all things, the king of existence, the captain of resurrection, and everything being him slowly but immutably extending his reign throughout the world until his return. 
And now that Jesus has gone back to heaven, it's our turn. To be the experience of resurrection power in, in the world. Jesus had about 40 days walking around, walking through walls, uh, making miracle catches, disappearing suddenly, breaking bread, disappearing suddenly, proving to his disciples that he was alive. And then he went up to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit and he said, now you're on. Okay, so this is where I want to go. Oh man, this was hard to uh, whittle down what I was going to say for one message. So I've got too much scripture and I'm going to take too much time. And you're all going to be overwhelmed and bored and say, why did he have to talk so long? So maybe you're going to have to listen to this three or four times this week. Just come back. That's why we record these things. Hello, people on the internet. Um, But this is really important. But this is what the thing that I just want to wave an arm, one arm at a time, about this morning. Okay, and, and, and I'm, I'm emphasizing this because I know when I say this, most of us are going to have the response. Because we hardly have a place in our brains for this truth I'm about to tell you. You're just going to maybe, yeah, go like, okay, a little bit, but have no clue what to do with this thing. Big truth from Scripture that hurts your brain to believe it, and you hardly meet any Christians that act like it, is this. You are totally one with Jesus now. Okay. If you believe in Jesus, if you're born again, God considers you to be absolutely, totally united with his son, the Lord Jesus, the resurrection man. And there's implications for your life now. Because you're not who you were. Whether you got saved at 7 or 77 or 97 or 107, you're not who you were. Because now you are totally united with the resurrection man. So, okay, what do I do? Have you ever unplugged a light before? Have you ever plugged it back in? Is the light totally different? Well, yeah, it is. The answer is yes. You were, you were being so good. You had like 400 other people beat because they're just standing there going, I don't trust church interaction times. I don't trust this Balfour freak. I don't know where he's going. I don't know where he's come from, where he's going. I don't trust nothing about this. Just stay, keep your head down. Keep your head down, name, rank, and serial number. Yeah, you, you're doing it. Okay, the light bulb doesn't change shape, but it absolutely changes what it's doing. When you unplug it, it goes dead. When you plug it in, it's alive. It's completely, it looks the same, it's completely different when it's connected to the power. Statement of fact, until you're one with Jesus, you aren't who you're supposed to be. You can change the outside, you can change the inside, you can change the chemicals, you can change the relationships, but until you're united with your maker who has resurrection power, you are not who you are meant to be. You're, you're just a broken light bulb. Then you can take that light bulb, you could put it in the closet, you could put it outside, you could put it in a shoebox, you can change a lot about it, you can paint the color on the outside, but until that thing is shining, it is not doing what it was meant to do. But if you have Jesus, and if you're plugged in, and if you're one with the resurrection man, 
there is implications for your life. But let me just go through another quick passage in the same book of Colossians and just think about how the Apostle Paul, writing by the Spirit, won't let his hearers getting a, get away with thinking that they're not totally connected to Jesus. Can we just read this? I know it's spring now and the sun comes out and then you can't see the projector anymore. Writing about Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means everything it meant, it means to be God, was somehow by mystery and miracle dwelling in a man who was born of Mary in Israel. And now, what's the implication? You have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Guess what? It's not going to feel like that. Half the time. And what Christians do is they say, between my feelings and the scriptures, what's right? Okay? That's what Christians do. If it's my feelings and God's word, who's going to win the disagreement? Who's going to win the argument? God's word. It's God's word. That's what it means to be God's word. It's right. It's always right. That's, that's, what, that's the difference between you and me and God. God's always right. You and me, not so much. And you have been circumcised in him. Here comes that awkward moment of the message. Yes, you are. With the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So let's talk about this for a little bit. For the people of God, circumcision was this outward ritual that you had to do to say that you belonged to God. And if you, didn't, if you were male and you didn't have it done to you, you weren't part of God's people. The problem was, uh, surgeries don't change hearts. And so even in the days of Moses, Moses was saying to the people of God who were all circumcised, you guys need to get your heart circumcised because you got the surgery, but you're still disobedient because you're unbelieving because your hearts are far from God. And so now for us Gentiles, one of the biggest questions was, well, in order to become God's people now, do you have to get circumcised? Youch. And the answer is no. And it's not because all that stuff was just done away with. It's because Jesus was circumcised, and so we're one with him, and so it counts for us. So even, you know, in a bit of a brain-busting way, whatever circumcision meant for the Israelite male, even... Believing women have it nowadays. Because you're one with the circumcised man. Who has the power in the Holy Spirit to circumcise people's hearts. To take a heart that is not devoted to God and transform it. I know it's weird. You better get used to it, baby. You got to get a little weird to understand God's ways. And if the truth is God's ways are right, we're the ones whose brains are broke. So it seems weird to us, but that's just because we're dumb. Is that okay? You'll get farther if you start off going, you wake up in the morning, I'm going to be wrong about a lot, but God can help that. You will get farther with that attitude than, I'm going to be right about almost everything, and I'm surrounded by idiots. You know, that kind of attitude is not going to get you as far as the first one. It's the difference between pride and humility. 
So you've been circumcised in Christ, and everything he accomplished counts for us. You've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So again, just pounding it. You're one with him. You're one with him. You're one with him. Even our forgiveness isn't just kind of like simple forgiveness. Because when we forgive each other, we're just kind of like, yeah, didn't bother me too much. You know, it hurt when you punched me in the face, but I forgive you. I'm not going to punch you back. It's kind of simple forgiveness. But for God, he can't actually do simple forgiveness for sinners. Because he's the judge of all the world. And so the judge of all the world cannot look at crimes and say, not a crime. That's corruption. We see it nowadays. You ever seen anybody in the news that are like, I don't know, maybe put on this race hoax or something and claim to have been attacked in the streets by some other political party supporters and then call the police to say I got attacked in the streets by these party supporters and they put bleach on me and there's a noose around my neck, but it turned out that they made up the whole thing and they even hired, even hired the guys that did the attack in the first place because he was just mad that he wasn't getting paid enough for the job that he was doing and acting and it turned out to be an entire hoax just to try to become the center of attention for a while. But when he does get arrested, he gets let out for nothing. That's called corruption. When a judge has a real crime and doesn't do anything about it. And God is not going to become corrupt for Rob's sake. He's a holy God. He doesn't owe me anything. I'm the one who sinned against him. He's never sinned against me. I'm the one who said to God, I want you out of my life. And he could say, okay, that's going to cost you a lot if I do that. But when God sets to rescue somebody, he cannot rescue us by becoming a sinner himself. He cannot rescue us from our unholiness by becoming unholy himself. He has to save me in a way that actually brings me into his holiness. And so his forgiveness wasn't just a simple, oh, I forgive you, poor baby, it doesn't really matter. His forgiveness was, I am going to take my son I am going to condemn him. I am going to let him be beat and tortured and brutalized. And I'm going to put him on a cross of a curse. And I'm going to let him die under my own curse. And then I'm going to bring him back from the dead, free from the curse, free from the punishment, into everlasting life. And forgiveness for us as Christians is not just, oh, it doesn't matter. It's you have been punished in Jesus. You have been cursed in Jesus. You have died in Jesus, but you also came back in Jesus. And now you live in Jesus. And now you're one with Jesus. And you're accepted in Jesus. And you're home in Jesus. It's the whole process. And it all comes to us by being perfectly united with the one who was already cursed and already crushed and already already brought back from punishment. That's all our forgiveness is that it already happened to us in Jesus. Doesn't totally make sense unless you get it. Why are you forgiven? Because you've already been punished. Why are you blessed? Because you were already cursed. Why are you free? Because you were already imprisoned in Jesus. And now because Jesus has already gone through everything and reigns from a throne in heaven, you have already in him gone through everything and are seated on a throne in heaven with him. Amen? Try to get that truth into your brain. That's Ephesians. So this is where it's like, I know the the little pellets of my words can go against the head and just bounce off. You're one with him, Christian. You are the body of the resurrection man. 
The, the scripture is trying to use all the pictures and words possible to say you're one, you're united. Everything that counts for Jesus counts for you. And there's implications. Can you just put up my hand, your hand? Like, I don't want to be insulting anybody any more than I have to. Um, you ever hear that joke before? A gentleman who's, who is somebody who never insults somebody else by accident. Whatever. If this feels hard to wrap your brain around, can you just let me know that I'm not alone here? Okay. Because I'm about to talk about how our lives ought to change because of this. And I know it's going to be so easy for all of us just to feel condemned and like failures and like legalism is coming on you and you're being forced away and you're being exposed. And those feelings come when it's like you shouldn't do this and you feel like, ah, I'm a loser. Those feelings come when your soul does not believe that you're already forgiven. And you already have the resources for change inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And the call for transformation comes from the call for you to become who you really are. You're not being exposed as a fraud, except that sin is a fraud for us because that's not who we are. It's not your faith that's a fraud. The sin is a fraud. The sin is a lie. It's not your faith that's a lie. It's the sin that's a lie because you're in Christ. So when I talk about the implications of the fact that there's resurrection power in you, your job is to not get discouraged. Because I'm preaching to you your future. Does that make sense? Because you're one with the resurrection man. Everything he's purchased through his death and resurrection is yours in the Holy Spirit. And yeah, the trials are hard, and we're not going to get everything coming to us until Jesus returns and gives us that renewed body that can't taste death and can't feel temptation. But we're in the progress. We're in the process. The seeds are all buried in our hearts. And through the watering of the Word and the sunlight of the truth and the warmth of Christian love, those seeds grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. So implication number one, we're in the resurrection process, which is that loved lovers are killing sin. So I took Colossians and I've reordered some of the passages here because it's more helpful to me. But I would encourage you to go and read Colossians for yourself. Uh, Someday I'm going to die. May it be the right time in the right way. And the Bible is going to live on. It's going to still be the most printed book in all of human history, the most translated book in all of human history, the most powerful book in all of human history. I'm just some guy trying to do his best to help people understand what God has said in his word. So you don't have to take my word for it. Read the book yourself. So I reordered it a little bit, trying to be really honest about that. But this is... The number one implication, who we are. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Did you know you're chosen? 
Okay, not trying to start a fight here, but nobody becomes a Christian by accident. If you're a real believer in Jesus, God chose you to be a real believer in Jesus. He saw all your heart. He saw all your deeds. He saw all your mess. He saw all your junk. And he chose you. And because he chose you, that means you're already holy and beloved. There's the the L word right there. You need to think of yourself as someone who God loves. If you're connected with the resurrection man. If you're one with the son of God, you are someone God loves and is set apart for himself. That's what holiness means. You're set apart for God. And so this is how you do it. You try to have compassionate hearts because that's who Jesus is. You try to be kind because that's who Jesus is. You got to be humble because that's who Jesus in you is. You got to have meekness because that's who Jesus in you is. You got to have patience because that's who Jesus in you is. We're bearing with one another because we're loved sinners or Post-sinners, we're, <laughs> I know people get tripped up by getting called sinners now. And sometimes you just need to remember what you're, you're like when God isn't, when we're resisting or if God hadn't done anything. We bear with one another because Jesus bears with us. And if we have a complaint against each other, we forgive. Just as the Lord has forgiven us, we must forgive. And you can feel like, oh, this is a lame obligation. I'm in forgiveness debt. Man, well, kind of, but actually, you're in Jesus, so you get the opportunity to forgive people just like Jesus does. You can see this as a, oh, 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 oh. I got to forgive. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, uh, uh. Don't encourage me too much. I'm real, well, self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right, hon? Yeah, thank you. One of your favorite fruits, in fact, with me. You can read that and be like, oh man, I'm indebted to have to forgive people because I'm going to heaven. <clears throat> or you can go, I am united with the most forgiving powerhouse that the world could never conceive. And I have the opportunity by the power that lives in, within me because I'm united with Christ to forgive. Because the glory of Jesus is that he is worshipped for the unlimited forgiveness he offers towards his people. And I can play a little part in expressing that in my life. My turn. My turn. To show resurrection forgiveness. There's a different way of looking at it. Now remember, forgiveness is freedom. Nobody who's unforgiving is free. Especially Christians. Because unforgiveness is the domain of darkness. Unforgiveness is where the devil lives. Do you think Satan forgives anybody ever? He loves the lists. He never lets you go. He will remind you of stuff you did when you were three and four and five. He wants you to be under the burden, under the condemnation, never getting free. God nailed that list of everything we've done to the cross, nullifying its effects, nullifying the calls for justice against us, and liberating us from the powers of darkness. They don't have the power anymore because we are forgiven. And unforgiveness says, well, I want to go into the devil's territory again. And then you get the devil's wages and the devil's fruits, and it's so unfun. 
But this is who we are. We're loved lovers learning to kill our sin. And above all these things, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. Is that time right? Okay. I'm about to drink my gummy berry juice here, and we're really going to speed up the clock. Number one, we're killing lust. So we got a passage here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul again is re-emphasizing our oneness with Jesus followed by a call to put together a life lived to satisfy our pleasures. If you then have been raised with Christ, which you have, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Did you know you're supposed to have a little bit of obsessive compulsive order in your life? I know there's the OCD, which is the bad kind, where you're like transfixed on things that aren't worthy of being God and it kind of doesn't help you. But if you are transfixed on someone who is God, very God, and has unlimited goodness to share with you, it brings order to your life. It brings health to your life. You actually can't be too obsessed with Jesus. By definition, it's not possible. So now that your mindset is just on like, I'm one with the living Christ and I want to live for him and please him and be as useful to him as possible, he says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry on the crown of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Which is true. We were just talking about God being a just judge, and he has to judge justly. And we're in this time where forgiveness is the name of the game, but these times don't last forever. And there will be a time when the opportunity for forgiveness comes to an end, and then it will just be time for justice. And so what the Bible is saying here is, hey, these things that God is going to judge people for, and he's going to show wrath against, that the lake of fire was made for, don't live doing the things that people are going to be thrown into the lake of fire for. Because that's not who you are. And Jesus would never do any of these things. And Jesus is living in you. Does that make sense? I'm trying to help you see this not as like, I don't know, old legalistic church And this is why you're terrible. I'm going to use a Scottish accent. That's my roots. And the Scots have been really bad sometimes about being kind of legalistic. Okay, you're a terrible person and you'll never make it. You scum. That's not what I'm saying here today. I'm saying here today, you are the vessel of the resurrection power of Jesus through your unity with him. Why would we let that kind of stuff dominate us? True fact? Good question. And we know that when we do this stuff, it always winds up terrible and we regret it like crazy. So we set our hearts to being who we really are in Christ and gaining the victory over this stuff. Number two, we're loved lovers killing unrighteous anger. In verse 8 it says, But now you must put these all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. If the first group of words were all about like what, what we do when we just worship our own desires for pleasure, this is what happens when we just give ourselves over to the nasties. Our anger, our wrath, our malice, 
our slander, when we want to hurt people with our words, obscene talk from our mouth. That stuff, Jesus never did this stuff. And in fact, Jesus suffered the cross in order to rescue us from righteous anger and righteous wrath. So we aren't, we, we're not here to be dominated by this stuff. And the resurrection power is in you for victory. We're loved love, lovers killing lying. Have you ever heard of Minnesota Nice before? Have I shared this recently? Put up your hand if I've shared this recently. I don't see any hands. You just bought yourself another minute of the sermon. It's this thing called Minnesota Nice, which you could probably call Manitoba Nice, which is where, you know, at, you go to a church or a meeting and people are really like outwardly friendly, but don't really care about you and are super hidden. Oh, how are you? Great to see you. Oh, so nice to see you. Bye. Welcome. Oh, so nice to see you. Oh, you look sad today. That's too bad. Bye. How am I doing? Good. My life's falling apart and I hate everyone, but good. That's Minnesota nice or Manitoba nice where where all your interactions are like, fine. It looks like you're bleeding out on the ground. No, it's nice bleeding out. It's very enjoyable. I love being this pale and lightheaded. People pay a lot of money to feel this lightheaded. I get it for free. And there's this kind of fakeness where you think people just want fake. I'm going to do fake. I don't want to be real. I don't want you to be real. It's death. It's, it's the domain of darkness. That hiddenness. Secrets make you sick. And of course, there's times and places. I think sometimes we overshare, you know, overpost. <laughs> we can overpost. We need wisdom. But the Bible says right here, don't lie to each other. Seeing that you put away that old, those old ways, and now you're being remade in the image of the Lord of Honesty. And in that honesty, we are united. Here there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and is in all. I love this. This is God's answer to the conflicts of the world. You know what God's answer to racism is? He feels me, and then he feels you, and he says, your family now live together. And he fills you, and he fills you, and he says, you're all equally forgiven. Now you've got to live together. And he picks people of every different kind of color and all different languages, and he says, you're already united in Christ. Now you figure out how to live together. He starts with the unity, and then he brings the unity. He starts with the oneness in Christ, and then he calls us to act it out. He starts with our past can be the past, and the supernatural love of God can fill us all. And then he says, you act it out. There's only really one judgment in the world that matters right now. When it comes to Jesus, are you in or out? And if you want to, you can be in. And if we're in, we're family. That's how it's supposed to be. So, let's bring it home. Thanks for your patience. But some of you might die tomorrow. So with that being said, I don't want to 
not say what you might need to hear before you die. If it sounds like I'm being slightly manipulative, you'll forgive me. But I am stunned. I am stunned. I am stunned how often the scripture will go from Jesus is the Lord over everything because of his suffering and death. He's conquered all the universe. And now it's time for you guys to have a good family life. And that's where he wants to see it show. And it kind of needs to go there. Speaking of not being fake, if the, the faith needs to show up in our, our relationships, that's kind of the point. Because if it doesn't change hearts, it's not worth a toot, except a rhyme. You can put that on a shirt. And I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask you if you get what's going on here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, in everything, in everything, in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Skipping down. Um, Oh, I I lost the last line there. And then it also says at the beginning of chapter 4, Masters, treat your bondservants justly knowing fair, and fairly knowing that they also have a master in heaven. One of the crazy things is that this short passage describes every area of conflict we have in our society. Women against men and men against women. Parents against children. Children against previous generations. You ever heard the OK Boomer saying? That intergenerational conflict... Gen zombie making fun of the boomers and whatever. Bond servants versus masters, which we would just call like the rich and the poor. Those scumbag billionaires. How many of you have invented electronic vehicles that actually work? Huh? Huh? Rocket ships that can land themselves. Huh? Whatever. I don't even know what's going on. but All the conflict of the universe right here. And we sometimes think the racial one's the big one. The biggest conflict of the universe is not the races. It's between men and women. If a man and a woman can live together, all things are possible. (laughs) I wasn't even joking. (laughs) I'm just saying. Two guys who have different colored skin growing up in the same town have way more in common than a guy and his wife. It's just... God made us different. And and when we rebelled, the first curse came between the man and his woman, that there would be conflict. He would be domineering. She would be manipulative. And so if that can get conquered... You're on to something. But this whole list of things is just answering the question. This is what what I'm saying. Do you understand what's going on here? This isn't just like saying yes to oppression. The whole thing here is, how would Jesus act if he were a husband? How would Jesus act if he were a child? How would Jesus act if he were a wife? Now, he's not a wife, but he knows how. He's been in situations where he's supposed to submit to someone. 
How would Jesus act if he's a master? How would Jesus act if he's a slave? And we, as the ones united with him in his resurrection life, are supposed to act out what it would be like for our wives to be married to Jesus. Put up your hand. <laughs> no, I That's about to ruin your lunch. Um, do you feel like you're married to Jesus? And more importantly... Do you think your spouse feels like they're married to Jesus? Okay. Young parents, do you think your children feel like they're being parented by Jesus? Kids, young people. I love you guys. That's all I'm going to say. Because if you can't figure out where I was going to go, I can't help you. Bosses, do you feel like your employees feel like they're being led by Jesus? And more importantly in our culture, employees, do you think that your bosses feel like they're paying the living God to help them sweep floors? This is all I'm... Do you understand how this makes sense now? You are united with the resurrection man. And now it's your turn to act out his life in all your situations. And we get so worried about, like, the big stuff. What's going to happen with China and Taiwan and Russia and our dollar and COVID-19.0 or whatever it is. And God is so concerned. If we can't live together, who cares about that stuff? And a country full of people who can do this are going to be okay. But we think that if we can just get the right people in politics to take our tax dollars and spend it in the right way, everything will get better. And we know that sinful hearts can ruin anything. We could become the trillionariest country ever with gigatrillions to spend on whatever programs you want, and we'd probably just be worse off because of it. Because we keep thinking if we can just have more money, we'd be having less problems. But the great poet, prophet, Puff Daddy said a long time again that the way it actually works is mo' money, mo' problems. Not my prophet, like to his own people. One of the hardest things about church planting is getting the church planters to get along with each other. One of the hardest parts about mission missions is the missionaries getting along on the mission field. Something like that. And so this is why I'm kind of just waving my arms for this. Like we are called to be like the most brain busted believers that we actually have the unlimited power of Jesus raised from the dead in us with this mission mission to be just like him in all our contexts and think the most important ones are whatever we're doing after I stop speaking. Where that's the context where we're drained of our selfishness and drained of our self-seeking and drained of our pleasure-seeking and drained of giving ourselves excuses to vent in ugly ways and drained of the dishonesty and drained of all that stuff and filled with the life of God so that our little homes are heaven on earth. 
and it's hard, but it's good. Amen. So we're going to call the team up here. And uh, I just want to say, like, again, religious church can assume that everybody else has a, this is going to be easier for every other home and every other context. That's what religious church does. I'm the only one who's going to feel like I'm dying here trying to do this. Amen? No, 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 no. All God's children's got problems. You just need to believe that whatever your context is, is the one God has called you to do. And if you're there, he's with you. We don't do coveting. We don't do family coveting. We don't do problem coveting. Boy, I wish I had that guy's problems. That's just jealousy and that's a sin. We want our problems to meet Jesus. Amen? Thanks for your patience. Lord Jesus, commit this time of worship to you. Why don't we stand, everybody? Jesus, I'm just giving this to you. I think this is from you. Lord, it's been a little too long and it's a little too warm in here and we're probably tired and maybe not even feeling like we can meet with you for resurrection power. Wonderful. This is how I wanted it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come, even when we don't feel excited or feel awesome, would you come and do your whole heart that every hurt can be turned into holiness and all pain can be turned into power and every letdown can be turned into total let free. And I pray you would raise my faith and our faith up into the throne room of heaven where the one we're one with is seated. The God who said all things are possible. Do it here. Amen.